Greetings. Uh, welcome to the Home Bible Study. The inaugural lesson that we're going to be studying together is going to be in the book of Psalms. So why not start with the very first Psalm, Psalm number one. So if you would mind opening up your Bible so that we can study together. I'm going to go ahead and read this Psalm. It's only six verses, so I'll read the entire thing to start off. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, what are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So just by reading this um, brief psalm, we can see that there's a lot of good instruction, a lot of very clear, direct instruction that we can all benefit from. To me, the Psalms are really special because they're a mix of poetry, spiritual meditation, and truth. And, you know, that's a really good mix. Psalm 1 is the genesis of Psalms. I hope that uh, you'll be able to see that, what I mean by that as we go through the study. But Psalm 1 has a lot in common with the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings. Uh, and it's full of wisdom, a summarized wisdom, things that in other places in the Bible uh, may take several verses. The Psalms are able to capsulize and to summarize so that it brings out the, the primary points of the wisdom that they offer. And it's done in a poetic way. They, these are songs. And that's the power of music and song, is that it's able to speak to us in a way that uh, other literature does not have uh, the same impact or the same uh, reach. So anybody who loves music, I love music, I love songs, so it, it really speaks to my soul when those songs are spiritual and they have uh, deeper meaning, even the Word of God. So the outline for this psalm is pretty simple. Um, it's packed full of knowledge. This psalm is packed full of knowledge. Uh, verses 1, 2, and 3, I have entitled The Roadmap to Joy. Verses 4, 5, and 6, The Surety of Perdition. The psalm begins with the word blessed. Now, that's a word that we use a lot, I think. Uh, it's very common in the American vernacular. A lot of people, particularly people who are familiar with any type of uh, spiritual or church life, they're going to hear this word a lot. And uh, even outside of the church, um, it's cultural now. Everyone understands what it means to be blessed. But we want to look in to see what the word is saying, particularly here. And this word for blessed is closely related to happiness. Uh, the, I think the more accurate translation of the word would be joy, our modern understanding of joy. Because joy goes beyond happiness, <clears throat> excuse me, because happiness depends on what's happening. But you can have joy in spite of that. And I think that's what this word is, uh, is meaning. That's the connotation of this word. So that's how, that's how it starts. Uh, it's talking about a state of being, a state of being blessed, a state of joy. And we live in a time where a lot of talk about depression goes on. 
mental health issues are a hot topic of discussion. And in our modern time, we've slowly removed the stigma associated with depression, which is good because we need to address these issues. It's a serious problem. Uh, it's not a new problem. The need for a means to combat such things will exist as long as sin exists in the world. Now, depression itself is not sin. You know, it's something that needs to be treated and addressed. The lack of joy that is a part of depression can be linked to a myriad of problems. Sadly, if unchecked, it could even result in death. And it does, daily. People die from this affliction. So uh, it's closely related to the problem of sin. That's where depression comes from, illness, sickness. All of that came into, world, into the world as a result of sin. And now we're left to deal with these problems. But the good thing is, the good news is that the Lord has made provision for us uh, who are his. He's given us a way to address these things and to deal with sin. He did not leave us to ourselves. Um, I think many times we struggle with sin and it's a, it should be a struggle. You know, that's something that we should battle with because we have a old nature. We have two natures. We have the old nature, the man of sin, and we have the new nature, uh, powered by God, the Holy Spirit. So there's a war that goes on. And Paul in Romans goes into a great detail about this struggle, right? Um, in Romans 7, 24, he says, you know, we're left with him saying just like him. Paul says uh, in Romans 7, 24, who will rescue me from this body of death? Um, that's, that's the question that, you know, we would be left asking ourselves if, if not for the word, but we do have the word and it's here to help us to address such things. So, uh, Psalm 1 answers this question that's posed by the Apostle Paul. And it answers the question by giving us some ABCs of joy, right? We need to learn these ABCs, these basic practices that will allow us to be able to live fully in the blessing, the joy, the state of joy, that God has purpose for his people. Uh, we can't do this in and of ourselves. We need the revelation of God to show us uh, how to do this. And here in Psalm 1, I believe that those ABCs, those, those basic things, those beginning things are laid out. So in verse 1, it says, Blessed the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So there we go, the first rule, uh, the very first rule. Blessed, if you want to be in a state of blessing, if you want to be blessed, the first rule is that a man who desires and wants to remain in that state, he does something that's described in the negative. And I think the reason it's described in the negative is because it gives more weight to what's being said. Rather than saying, this is what he does do, the psalm starts off with the negative. This is what he does not do. Uh, the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So the first thing I asked when I read that is, who are the ungodly? Um, who are these uh, that are denoted as the ungodly? that have a counsel, I want to be blessed. All who seek to leave God out of their counsel. That's a simple explanation. Uh, these uh, that are labeled as ungodly, they exist in a state 
of ungodliness. Just like we're seeking to be in a state of blessedness, these people seek to exist in a state of ungodliness. They're comfortable in that state. I think that's the best way to describe who they are. Um, it's their natural state. You know, uh, it's the natural man, those who are uh, apart from God and in their natural state. These are the ungodly. And based on this, you know, first verse, it says that they have a goal. They have a destination that they're uh, seeking. And it's not hard to imagine or to see how that, you know, that's very popular in the world. Everybody, you got to have goals. You know, you got to be ambitious. You got to have a direction. And um, it's a very popular message in the world. And there's nothing wrong with having goals. Goals are good. Goals and objectives are good. But the problem with these goals is that they leave God out. Um, when I say goals, it's because it says that they walk. So when you're walking, you're walking with a purpose. You're trying to get somewhere. You're going from A to B. And these ungodly people, they walk. And as they walk, they offer a counsel. So here we see that they have a counsel. So what's the characteristics of this counsel? What makes this counsel apart from God. I think to be able to understand that clearly, we can look at a passage in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, 3 through 7. I'm going to go ahead and read it. This is the character of the council. He says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. Whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition and ungodly men. So what is Peter saying here? Peter's saying that, you know, these the characteristics of ungodly conversation, ungodly counsel, it, it comes from the same place. These people have been around since the beginning, since even the days of Noah. You know, Noah preached for a long time, many years. And uh, he said, it's going to rain. And people surely thought he was nuts. I mean, it had never rained before. What is rain in the first place? Uh, Mr. Noah, what are you doing? Well, I'm building this ark because God told me that it's going to rain and it's going to be the only way to be delivered. Well, everybody scoffed at that. And that's the nature of man. That's this sin nature, this ungodly nature that is led by lust and just the will of man, the will of unsaved man. That's what they want to do. I mean, apart from the grace of God, that's what everybody would do. That's natural. So that's the characteristic of the counsel that they offer. It's, it's a counsel that of unbelief. That's the best way to sum it up. It's a counsel of unbelief. And it's the kind of counsel that robs us of blessing because it takes us away from the settled peace of the truth of God. You know, the, the hope and the faith that we have that we've been gifted through his grace. Um, this kind of counsel is in direct opposition of it. That's the kind of counsel that takes us out of this state of being blessed. So that's rule number one. Let's take a look at rule number two. Uh, the verse says, Nor standeth in the way 
of sinners. That's pretty simple. So the first question I ask, who are these sinners? Well, the definition of sin is to miss the mark. Sin is to oppose the express will of God. That's the easiest, simplest uh, definition that I can offer. To be in opposition to the expressed will of God. That's what creates sin in our lives. Uh, we wouldn't even know what sin was apart from God revealing it to us in his word through his holiness. Um, we wouldn't understand completely the depth of sin apart from that. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's a direct link between sin and the holy and glory, the holiness and the glory of God. There's a direct um, contrast there. And that's, you know, who these sinners are. Um, so there's a direct link between the glory of God and his holiness and sin. They're diametrically opposed to one another. And through learning of the glory and holiness of God, we are made more conscious of what sin is. Um, the identity of those referred to in Psalm 1 as sinners are a particular group. Now, clearly, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. We stated that. I mean, that's what prompted uh, God to, you know, the Father to send his Son to redeem us because of this awful sin. But you got to think about the economy in which this psalm was written. These people at the time were under the law. They had the revealed law of God, you know, the, you know, the commandments. And the commandments were never given to save anyone. The, the commandments would reveal the sin in their lives because they were constantly constantly having to take sacrifices on behalf of sin constantly they had the levitical priesthood their sole duty was to um, minister uh, the law to uh, take these sacrifices and minister um, in that uh, aspect and that was their sole purpose so there was a lot of sacrifices taken so the point of the law was to make people to see their sin and their inability to measure up or hit the mark that God had placed as righteousness. So um, you have to keep that in mind when you think about when it says sinners, because certainly we're all sinners and need a savior, but this would be those group of people who didn't recognize their sin, who like, I'm not going to take this uh, sacrifice up to the temple. I mean, I have to go all the time and it's just not that important. I got other things I need to do. I have some business I need to take care of. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't think it's important. So these are people who don't recognize themselves as sinners, but are recognized as sinners by their actions. So that's the group of people that this psalm is talking about, that it is identified as sinners. You know, they live a life that's characterized by sin and they reject the uh, deliverance that God has given from the penalty of that sin. They completely reject that. Like, I do not want to go to the temple I do not want to sacrifice animals. I'm, I don't want to believe God. I feel like that I'm fine. That is not something that's necessary. So I'm going to just do what I want to do. So that's, the, that's who these people are. They don't acknowledge God. And if you don't acknowledge God, there's no reason to acknowledge sin. To them, they're just living their best life. That's a word that I... A phrase I hear a lot. Hey, I'm just living my living my best life. 
unfortunately, uh, if this world is your best life, then uh, I feel very sorry for you because there's much better in the Lord Jesus. And uh, I would that uh, people would know that. So that's what the word shows us. That's what the Lord Jesus reveals to us, the, the better life, the life in him. So they don't want to be told anything about the holiness of God. If you can imagine if you're content in yourself and in your sin, you don't want to hear about the holiness of God. What would that have to do with anything? You know, you're happy. You're in a state of sin. Right. And you're good. I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to hear about it. It's fine for you, but I don't want to hear about his holiness because, you know, all that does is reflect poorly on me. And I'm, I have goals. I have objectives I'm trying to accomplish. And I don't need this holiness of God. I don't need you to tell me about my sin. But that's exactly what they do need. That's what we all need. And um, the word shows that plainly. So that's who these people are. They are identified as sinners, those who are content in their sin. So um, they have taken a stand, unfortunately, and this stand is against the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. They have done this. This is not arbitrary. They're not, you know, victims of sin. That is not what's happening. They are willfully and contentedly living in a state that is opposed to the word and it's opposed to God. And that's the deceitfulness of sin. That's what it does. So, so it says that um, to attain this level of blessedness, they were not to stand it in the way of sinners. So, They've taken a stand and we don't want to be seen standing with them. One of the things that I tell my kids, particularly my son, is that, you know, you can get in a lot of trouble just by being in the wrong place at the wrong time. You could be hanging around people that seem like pretty good people. You know, they're fun, they're nice, they're courteous, whatever. And they're like, hey, come on, let's, we're going to go hang out and do this, that, and the other. And in your mind, it's like, yeah, well, sounds good to me. And all of a sudden, you find that they're with people who are unsavory, that are doing things that may even be illegal, and you just happen to be there. Well, when the hammer falls on those people, guess what? You are guilty by association. So it's really important for us to be careful who we stand with. Uh, there's a lot of uh, things going on in the world right now. Um, a lot of protesting, a lot of causes that people are very passionate about. And some of these causes, you know, I can definitely get behind in the sense that I know that uh, at its core, you know, it's a, a good cause. But unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of times when people are fighting for something that on the outside, you know, looks like a righteous cause, a lot of times there's things behind that that get mixed in. You know, the world is okay with mixing causes. Like, hey, I'm fighting for this right and you're fighting for that right. Well, let's just merge our rights together. Uh, the best example that I can give of um, that would be uh, Black Lives Matter. Now, uh, Black Lives definitely matter. <laughs> I'm 100% on board with Black Lives Matter. But when you have an organization where you're protesting and witches decide to jump on board and say, yeah, we're going to support you too. We're going to come on to... It's like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> now the message is getting kind of mixed. So 
I think it'd be better rather than to stand with people like that than to stand for the truth and the word of God. Because in the word, there's no distinction, black, white, green, blue. It's only the godly and the ungodly. Everything else in between really doesn't matter, right? Because that's what God sees. And if we were to walk in a way that was right, if we were to be in a place of blessedness, we wouldn't. But it's because of the sin of man. It's the ungodliness. That's where this comes from. And uh, it's sad. It's unfortunate. I've been on the, um, the wrong side of, you know, that kind of sin. But that's what it is. That's what we need to call it. And no writing, no protesting, none of that is going to fix it. Because all it leads to is more protesting and violence and bullets. And it's, that's not the answer. The answer is dealing with this problem of sin. And that's why it's important to be careful where we're standing and who we're standing with. So it says our rule number two, that you want to be blessed. You want to enjoy the blessing of God and his peace then you don't stand in the way of sinners. You stand with the people of God. It's really important that the people of God stand together and they stand on the side of righteousness. Righteousness as the God has delivered it unto us. You know, there's a way that seems right to a man and the ways thereof lead to death. So we need to be wise and, and obey God. Rule number three, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So first rule was walking not in the counsel of the ungodly. Second rule, uh, the blessed man does not standeth in the way of sinners. And here we go with the rule number three, nor does he sitteth in the seat of of the scornful. So what is the seat of the scornful? I think the that's the important thing we need to figure out. What does that mean? Well, the seat of the scornful speaks of a resting place. Whenever you sit down, you're at rest. It speaks of a resolve, kind of a settled position. But unfortunately, it's a settled position against God and his word. That's what it means to sit in this seat of the scornful. So earlier I mentioned that uh, the ungodly or these sinners as uh, the psalm has labeled them, uh, they have an objective, they have goals. Uh, they have, you know, a direction that they're going in and they will take you in that direction as well if you're in their path you know uh, that's just uh, that's how people are uh, people want to find some type of fellowship or agreement i think the modern way of saying it you know people say hey go find your tribe find other people who have similar interests as you do well whatever these interests are if they are not saved if they don't know the Lord Jesus, if they don't worship the God of the Bible, then those interests are going to be sin. It's going to, that's what the natural man does. That's what the natural man seeks after. And so, you know, that's the, that's the word of the day. You know, go find your tribe and, you know, love them and love them as much as you can. Well, Basically, what they're saying is go find people who have similar sinful interests as you do. And y'all just jump right in and eat all that sin up, eat all that cake that you want. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, that's basically what they're saying. And it makes sense to them. That's the that's that uh, ungodly counsel 
that is very popular. So they have a resolve. There's no, they're not upset by this. They think it's good. I mean, it's, it's great advice. Let's, let's go do that. So this um, rule number three really identifies the fact that, you know, first they walk, then they stand, they take a stand for sin, and then they sit in it. You know, they're, they're, they're resting in this sin. And um, I think that we need to kind of look to see what's behind this mindset. Like, I think it would be good to see an example of this type of mindset as it's revealed in the word of God. And I think we can look at that in Second Peter. So in 2 Peter 2.19, I think it's uh, very insightful. Uh, It says that these these ungodly, speaking of these same type of ungodly people and their counsel, um, Peter says, while they promise liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought into bondage. So it's very interesting here. They have the mindset that, hey, I'm free to sin. I can do whatever I want. Don't don't talk to me about this holiness, this righteousness of God. I am enjoying my freedom, my freedom to sin, right? And you, on the other hand, are trying to limit me. But the it's just the opposite is true. They are actually slaves or in bondage to sin because they're overcome by it. And it says clearly here that they're the servants of corruption for whom a man is overcome of the same he's brought into bondage. So by us enjoying this blessed state and not entering into this sin, right? By not being, um, bound by sin, but being bound by the righteousness, righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we gain our righteousness through faith and following and trusting him. We're actually set at liberty, whereas they are in bondage, but they try to flip that around and make it seem like we're the ones that are, you know, stick in the mud and, oh, you don't get to do stuff. Man, I get to do whatever I want. And you're, you know, going around and you're missing out on life. So um, just in case there's someone who would say, you know, you're taking this a little too far. You know, that that's not at all how it works. Well, let's look at an, uh, another example in scripture that shows this in action. And it also shows the, the end result of this kind of mindset, the mindset that says that, hey, you don't have to obey God. Don't listen to God. You should have liberty. Do what you want to do. You know, be you. Live your best life. You you hear that a lot. Well, let's go to Genesis. Since, you know, I mentioned that this is the, this Psalm 1 is the Genesis Psalm, you know, the Psalm of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We're going to see this played out. So just to give you a little idea of what happened prior to this, we're in the garden. Uh, We have Adam. We have Eve. You know, Adam has been given dominion over the earth. He has named all the animals. And in doing so, they came a male and a female. And Mr. Adam noticed that, hey, I'm just a male. There's pairs here and there's just one of me. And God gave him Eve. Says he took uh, one of his ribs, uh, caused the sleep to come over him. Next thing you know, you have this beautiful Eve. Um, And she came out of him. Um, The word... In Hebrew for Adam or man is ish, 
and the word for woman is Isha. So you can see there's a, they're very closely related and that's the way a husband and wife should be. So now we have this beautiful scene. They're in this idyllic setting. They're in a garden, which, uh, you know, you have to imagine as um, more of an orchard. You know, there's trees everywhere and they have all kinds of trees and it's beautiful and it's lush. Uh, I can imagine that it was a very nice place to be. Um, and this is, you could say it's a place of blessing. Actually, um, it's, so here they are in this wonderful place. Uh, and that's where we pick up in chapter three. It says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, uh, Yea, hath God said that ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Surely die. For God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the, the tree uh, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and did eat, and gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So here we see played out what Psalm 1 is warning us, us against. Um, there, Adam and Eve are in an idyllic situation, and then an ungodly creature in the form of this serpent that's speaking approaches the woman and just asks her a question, you know, poses a simple question. Hey, is it true that you guys can't eat of any of these trees? And that's what the ungodly do. They pervert the word of God. They twist it. They seek to cause doubt. That's the role of a scorner, right? And here it is. The serpent is in the role of this scorner, you know, and he has a resolve, a resolved position against God. And he has a goal and an objective in his counsel. He's counseling this woman, right? And he starts off by asking a question because that would then put her in a position that she should not have been in, in the position of the one that is giving uh, or answering this uh, serpent. So, Clearly, Adam named all the animals. So he was given dominion. And she was given to Adam to complete him. So if she's going to go off on her own to address a problem, that's a problem. They were given one another. They need to be speaking to one another. If problems come up, a husband and a wife have to speak together. The husband is not going to be able to uh, function and be effective apart from the wife and vice versa. You know, that's the message here. So the serpent is subtle, like he knows this. And these, these uh, ungodly people uh, who seek to give you counsel and stand in the way, get you to stand with them in the way of sinners, well, they understand that too. They, they know how to get you on their side. They have an objective. They have a goal that they're trying to accomplish and it's not for your good. And so we see that um, here the woman speaks back to the uh, serpent and uh, clearly her husband is there with her and he's not paying attention. 
And believe me, that is a problem. That's a big problem when uh, a husband is not uh, living with his wife according to knowledge. That means that you need to know her uh, and know what her strengths or weaknesses are and be a protector. And clearly Adam is not doing that right now. So uh, she speaks back to the serpent and she says, yeah, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. So he's casting doubt and putting her in a position to defend the word of God. And that's just not where she's supposed to be. She's not equipped to be able to do that. And, you know, truth be told, none of us are. You know, we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to be able to stand against uh, the subtlety of the world, the flesh and the devil. And here she is confronted with all three at once. So, you know, don't be uh, looking down on Miss uh, Eve. She she is uh, doing what it is that she's capable of doing, and that's nothing apart from God. So she says in verse three, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden. So up till now, we had no idea where this tree was, you know, um, but she lets us know where it is. And I have a feeling it's because ever since she was told that, you know, God said that we shall not eat of it for in the day that you do, you'll die. She's been fixated on this tree and that's very human. That's what we do. The things that we're told that we shouldn't do. Those are the things that are the most interesting at times. So uh, very important to see that. So she says, God had said, so now she takes the position of uh, defending the word of God and you know, she doesn't do a very good job uh, because it's not something that she's equipped to do, nor should she be doing alone. Her husband should be with her in this uh, battle here. So she says, So here we see Eve uh, in a place, out of place here, trying to defend the truth of God and defend God's word. And she says, God had said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, that's unfortunately not what God said. Let's take a look at what God actually said in Genesis 2. 15 and 16 it says and the lord god took the man and put him into the garden of eden to dress it and to keep it and the lord god commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou may freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die so now we see in verse 4, Genesis 3, 4, the serpent makes his move. So he has accomplished his objective. He has uh, gotten the woman away. He has divided her from her husband uh, and gotten her away from his protection because uh, that's where she's blessed. That's where he's blessed when they're together, when they're one. But he's drawn her away, he's gotten her in a place or a position that she shouldn't be in. You know, she's now standing in a place of unprotection and it's dangerous. And she's sitting um, at the seat of the scornful. This serpent is going to Come right out with it now. <laughs> in verse 4 he says, 
And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. There you go. That's that settled resolve against God right there. He says, you're not going to die. You know, he calls God a liar. Uh, his counsel is in direct opposition to the word of God. And so what happens as a result of this? Uh, let's look and see in verse five what, what the serpent says. He, once he has the hook in her mouth, he elaborates. He says, you know, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So once he puts the hook in her mouth, he gives her this last little bit to push her over the edge. And the result of it is in verse six. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, right? It appealed to the flesh and that it was pleasant to the eyes and uh, the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And what's interesting is what she does next to me. It's not, I mean, I can understand her falling for this uh, ungodly counsel. I could see that. But what I think is interesting is that immediately after yielding to sin, she seeks to drag her husband into this same sin. She said, it says that, and she gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. That's the result. That's, that's the, the sad result of not number one, two, and three, to walk, not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, to not stand in the way of sinners, to not sit in the seat of the scornful. Because when you don't obey that instruction, you're drug away from a blessed state. And the, the, the sad result is that it doesn't just affect you. It affects the people that are closest to you. When you're not walking in the will of God, when you don't have your eyes on the Lord, it's not just you that's in danger. It's everyone around you. You know, that is how sin works. And that's the goal and objective of these ungodly people, these sinners. That's what they want, right? Jesus told him, he says, you will do the deeds of the devil who's your father, right? That is what the ungodly do. And they seek to rob us of this place of blessing, of blessedness. And the only defense we have against that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us his word. He's instructed us and left us with the seal of God, the Holy Spirit to keep us. And we have that leading and we have to trust and obey the leading of the Lord Jesus through God, the Holy Spirit. That's the, that's the only defense that we have. You know, we have to put on the whole armor of God and stand in righteousness. Because if you're not standing in the righteousness, it's not just that you're falling. You're actually going to be standing in the way of sinners. You don't just fall. You actually bring others down around you. So it's very important that we follow these rules. So this has been the very uh, beginning of Psalm 1. Uh, I know it's a lot just in the first verse. We haven't gotten very far, but um, it's a lot to chew on. We got some cud to chew on. So uh, I'm going to stop here and we'll pick up next time um, uh, in this uh, psalm and we'll continue to see more good things. But uh, for now, um, I hope that this study has been a blessing to you, that it's 
giving you some insight into what the Lord has done to maintain our state of blessedness, the instruction that he's given us. And if you don't know the Lord that way, if you are one of these people who fit in the category of the ungodly, uh, and the Lord has impressed upon you that that's who you are and that's what you do, then you can't enjoy this blessedness. It's not for you. What you need to do is call out to the Lord Jesus and ask him to save your soul. That is your need. That is the only thing that you should be concentrated on because there's no access to blessing for you apart from the Lord Jesus. There's no access to blessing for anyone apart from the Lord Jesus and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He was resurrected as proof and evidence that the Father accepted him and accepted his sacrifice. And that's what you need. You need a sacrifice on behalf of your sin. That is the only way that anyone can be saved from the work that the Lord Jesus has accomplished. And you need to believe that. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's what you should be praying. That's the only prayer that you should be praying because that's the key. That's what you need to be saved is the Lord Jesus. His word won't mean anything to you apart from that. And I pray with you that you would be saved. Father, thank you for this lesson. Thank you for the grace that you've given us. Um, thank you for this time to study. I pray, Father, that it would make us better servants, that we would be pleasing to you, and that we would be examples of your grace. And for those, Father, who don't know you that may be listening, Father, make them to know who you are in the Lord Jesus. Reveal your Son to them in a way that they cannot deny who he is and what he's accomplished. You've done that for me. You've done that for many other people. And I pray you would do it for them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.